When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Today's guest is Marjorie Wingert. She's a precious daughter of the one true God, and she's also a wife, mother, and an author. She's here today to share her personal experience, her unique way of perceiving who God is in the midst of her transitioning into losing her eyesight. Something you're going to notice right away is her sweet spirit. I'm struck by her humble attitude and that sweet spirit. One of the things that made an impact on me as I talked to her is her continual heart posture before the Lord. Let's listen in as she shares who God is to her as she progressively loses her eyesight. Not only does she face every day knowing there is no cure and that the death of her eyesight is unavoidable, she also endures various other deaths of the things that people like me, people with sight, take for granted. So let's dive right into the interview. Thank you for being here, Marjorie. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I love digging in to see where God, to hear how he spoke into your life-changing event. Yes. You know, even in my experience of death, as far as my life-changing event being the death of my husband, I have found that there is a death of many things. You have to let go of dreams. You have to let go of marriages. You have to let go of future plans and things like that. So I'm interested to see how you might define your experience as well. In your bio on your website, it starts off with this amazing sentence, a native of nowhere. That's pretty interesting to me. And you, so you penned your first memoir in the backseat of a moving eight passenger van at age 10, a 10 year old who's reflective and thinks to put their pen to paper about their life. Then I'll remember I, I wrote it on a pad of paper that had those multiple different colors, but my life at that point had many twists and turns because my sister when she was probably five or six, unfortunately, slowly lost all her fine and gross motor skills. So our family was completely bereft of so many normalities. And so as a very young girl, I learned that life was hard because here my sister was, she was my best friend and she could no longer talk. She could no longer move. And so our family dynamic completely shifted. And that caused me as a girl of six, seven, eight, nine, ten, to be reflective because I was an angry child at that time before I came to know the Lord. And I knew my life was different. And this was just a way of me coping with that anger, coping with the differences, coping with the pain of losing um, a sister in that way. So that's where that came out of. And we moved a lot. I can't tell you, I moved every two years as a child. So literally I was in the back of this eight passenger moving van going from one state or city to another until we found Pennsylvania as our home. So that's why you refer to yourself as a a native of nowhere. 
Yes. Did you have a publisher? No, because I was only 10. And quite honestly, at that point, I honestly, I think I probably threw it away after a year or so. But I will definitely distinctly remember what it was like to write about the hard things, to write about some of the fun things. And then I thought, well, this isn't anything. And I, I remember I threw it away. Yeah. Well, I think we, as writers, we've probably thrown most of our work mm -hmm. at some point or another. I love the connection, though, of journaling through pain. I've heard that over and over again, that journaling your pain on paper helps to process it or a part of a process. Did you find that as therapeutic, cathartic? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I found that throughout my lifetime, whether I was 10, whether I was in middle school, which is when many things began to unfold for me and when I met Christ. And also, as I got older and I had my first child and had to work through, it wasn't diagnosed, but I, I know it was postpartum, I used journaling as a way of expressing myself, but I never thought anything seriously of it. You didn't give it much credibility at the time. Yes. You, you, it sounds like it's something that has resonated with you. I mean, you've returned to writing, and so that's God, right? Full circle. Yes. Who would have thought that God would have used those small little scribblings to uh, ignite a, a, a passion and, and a flame to begin a new season? At 10, you were given this glimpse into your future, but it was 16, wasn't it, where you get the diagnosis? Is that yes. So you're in high school at this point. Mm-hmm. I was 15 or 16, and it manifested itself first with night blindness. I'll never forget, I was a marching band playing the clarinet, and you have to keep a straight line, but I had difficulty keeping that straight line, and we had one marching band experience in our hometown. I remember going to a friend's house after the marching band, and she ducked beneath this sign, but I didn't see it, and went smack right into it. And it's really at that moment I thought, oh, something's not quite right. But when we went to my regular visit to get new glasses, he's the one who saw something was wrong and then recommended I go to a medical center. And they did all these tests and I, retinitis pigmentosa. And at that time I thought, well, I don't really know what this is. And I was still able to see, to drive and write. So it didn't really impact me right then and there. The only great thing it did was get me out of gym class because I, I couldn't see to track objects. And that was fine with me. I was happy to be out of gym class. To think, well, now I'm going to make the best of this. You're going to tell mm -hmm. me my eyesight you know, is not what it should be, but I'm going to make the best of this. Let me ask you, where are you at in your relationship with God at this point? Right now, I say that I'm in a season of, well, of love. I'm in, I have a love relationship with my Lord, and I've been very thankful that once Jesus got a hold of me in, at the end of sixth grade, that he's been faithful and I've been blessed not to struggle with doubts or questions and through all the different trials he's he's been there with me and so I am grateful to say that in this season of life and through all the seasons he's always been close with me and I abide in him and he abides in me and so he's he's really who I hold on to he's my rock he's my strength he's my foundation and I look to him for every every single day to help me through. So I'm very grateful because without God, my life would be miserable. So backing up just a little bit, you are 16, you get this diagnosis, you're in the band class, you know, you have band. Mm -hmm. 
you're probably driving at this point. So still driving. Yes. So where did God come into your life? I met Jesus when before this, I was probably the summer after my sixth grade. And this was a time of great rebellion and anger for me because there was a lot of change. We had moved yet again. And yet again, I was one of the unpopular kids because I'm, I had very thick glasses. I'm Asian. I was in a very widely homogeneous population. And so I was different. Plus, I had a sister who had this severe disability and no one else had that. And at that point, we were at a different place. We were not mainstream Christianity at that point. And so my parents, because God can get a hold of you wherever you're at, he had revealed himself to them in even greater ways. And so they took us from our faith at that point and brought us to a Mennonite church. And I was angry because this was not what I grew up with. Everything was changing. And I just remember having that spirit of dissatisfaction. And so my mother sent me to a Christian week camp and God got a hold of me. He used the music, he used the acceptance of my peers to bring me to know him. And even though I was going to go home back to my situation of uh, the challenges that a family undergoes when they have a, a child with severe disability, I knew that that situation wasn't going to change, but that I had changed and that God would be with me through that. So he really came and showed up during this very pivotal time in my life where I could have entered into bitterness and rebellion and anger, but he chose to turn my heart to him. He helped me handle the different pressures and responsibilities because I did not have normal responsibilities. I was care helping. I was one of my sister's caregivers mm -hmm. um, at the age of eight. And so there was a lot on me, but God began to work my heart then. And I think it, I think that was part of God's plan because by the time I did get my diagnosis of my own physical limitation, I had already developed a strong relationship with the Lord. And at that point, it didn't really impact me tangibly on the everyday level because it didn't change my life. It was only later when my eyesight really began to deteriorate that I began to see what we call RP as the short for retinitis pigmentosis, but RP's impact on my life. At this point, when you get your diagnosis, did you have any questions, any why questions for God? Were you afraid or did you have any thought process about it? What were you talking to God about? Honestly, this may sound strange, but I didn't have a lot of questions when I was initially diagnosed, simply because it didn't change my sphere of existence. It was out there somewhere, nebulous, that this in time would impact my ability to function on an everyday basis. At that point, I was still reading, writing, running. Uh, when I was 18, I got my license. So it really didn't change anything. I just couldn't do things at nighttime. And I was aware of that. So I made the accommodations for it. My whys and my questionings began to come when I no longer could drive. That was a biggie because that is when my independence was taken away at a very young age. And my whys and my wonderings also started to come more at the time when I could no longer perform in my career. That's when a lot of the questionings happen. But at the initial diagnosis, I really did not experience a lot of questions.
Okay, that makes sense, especially if things haven't changed dramatically. You went on to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree in music and psychology from Eastern University, and you were employed in the financial and investment sector, would you say, for more than a decade? Yes. I'm trying to remember your bio, but it looks like things took a turn at that point when you left the financial industry. So now you are to the point where you have lost a significant vision. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you had some whys at this point? Yes, this is huge because many of us associate our identity with what we do. And I was good at what I did. And so in many ways, I had built up my identity around my career. And it's one of those interesting things where when it's taken away, you're left with those questions of who am I? That was a big one I had to deal with. Also, having to deal with being secure in that I had value without having a career, that I had value just by being a child of God. And that was something I really had to work with because in this world, we often define our success by our achievements, by what we do, and not simply as whose we are who's as being the child of God and that by loving and by serving him and by walking in his ways, we, it's, it's hard for us to redefine our own standards to be what the Bible says is of value is of success as opposed to the world. So I did a lot of grappling with who am I, what am I a failure? Because I did feel like a failure. I felt like I had, failed in my ability to do my job. I had a loss of self-sufficiency. I had a loss of self-worth because I associated that with my career. But I really never questioned God that much. God was a constant in my life. And I, I knew, again, this is a gift of the Lord to give faith of that type. But I never questioned God much to say, why are you doing this to me? It was there. I know it was there, but it wasn't something I dwelt on because I knew that God was sovereign in all of this. And I think part of it, when it actually, when my life actually began to become impacted by the loss of vision, I think I had less why God questions because I had known about the diagnosis years before it actually transpired. And God is very kind and that oftentimes he prepares us without even know we're being prepared for that tragedy, for that loss, for that difficulty or pain. And so part of the preparing me, I think, was me giving up my license when I was 25. And I had to learn to depend upon other people rather than myself for transportation. And I think learning to depend upon myself less was something that bridged the gap to learning to depend upon God more. Because that's when I've learned when we're able to depend more upon God than upon ourselves. That's where I think our struggles can become a little bit uh, easier because it's not us. It's God. And it's only God at this point because we got nothing to bring to the table. So for me, that's where my questionings came in. Who am I? Do I have value even though I'm not contributing to the world and society as the world says you should? I mean, the world is going to say for you to be successful, you need to be healthy wealthy, have a good career. I had none of those things. Mm -hmm. And so redefining who you are according to God's standards and the Bible is something I think that was a critical 
moment for me when I was able to realize, look, I'm defining myself by what the world says is a success. But if I can shift that and see myself through God's eyes, that's when I began to have more peace. And that's when, when most of the questions began to go away. God's value system says that's all we need is his, mm-hmm. his definition of us. So that makes complete sense to me what you're saying. Mm-hmm. He comes in and redefines things. And I think that when we embrace his redefinition, we do get a lot of freedom in that. I would have a hard time asking people for things, but you also mm-hmm. say that when you did it bridged that ability to rely on God. That's a beautiful thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Did you struggle with that? That was one of the worst things. Pride and the recognition I have no control were two of the things I struggled a lot the most with along with my identity because pride was having to ask people to help give me transportation at a very young age. That's very difficult, but it, silly as it sounds, when I began to have to learn to walk with a cane, that was the hardest thing for me because then it was a visual representation that everybody could see. Everybody could see I was vision impaired. It was my advertisement to the world. Look, I can't see where I could kind of fudge it before. Now there is no question. And that was very hard because I thought that people, if they saw that they I, I had a cane, that they would see me as inferior, that they would think me as being less able. And so I really grappled with that because I'm a woman who at that time took a lot of pride in my self-sufficiency, a pride in my ability to do things well. And to me, I thought this is not doing things well, but my loss of control, obviously we find, like you said, it's an illusion and dealing with the fact that I have no control of my life. Here I am was one of the hardest things because I could not control that I was losing my sight. I couldn't control that I couldn't do my job. I couldn't control all the things that this changed in my life when I finally left my job. And so it was a dark time. And I remember muddling through. I remember leaning on God and just doing my best to just keep going forward. God was just very faithful during that time, pointing me towards him. And at that time, I really spent, this sounds silly, I was a believer for a lot of my lifetime, but I never spent time reading the word of God from book to cover. And this is when God showed up and said, start reading the Bible from book, you know, from the cover to the end. And that's when I began to learn more about who God was, the fullness of who he was, his, his power through the ages. And that was something that also was really the food I needed for my soul to go through the Bible and to see how he has shown up and he has fought battles and how he has helped historically people through their struggles and bad times. And I think that was something that really ministered to me during this time. That is empowering. The fact that God's word Mm -hmm. begins to give you that clarity, give you power, give you understanding, give you authority. We need more of that for sure. Now, had you met your husband at this point? Yes, I had met him while I was in college. And during college, my central vision was stable because with retinitis pigmentosa, it impacts your peripheral vision. Many people have heard of of macular degeneration where people don't have 
the center vision, but they have their peripheral. Retinitis pigmentosa is different. Uh, it, it impacts, we have rods and we have cones. And rods are nighttime, cones are daytime. And this particular degenerative disease first impacts your rods. So that's why I was night blind. And so when I met my husband, my center vision was pretty stable. So I was pretty much doing things as normal. And, but when I met him, I had to tell him about this condition because I knew it was coming. It was degenerative in nature and it would manifest itself. So we met in college. It, my, his cousin was my roommate. And she just said, you guys would be perfect. And, and we were. He, he is uh, my best friend. He is my helpmate. He is the man that God appointed in my life. I remember telling him that this was something that was going to happen. And I said, this is a decision you're going to have to make because I believe marriage is something that if you, if, that, that God means has designed for the two to be together for as, as long as you should live. And so he took time to pray about it. He talked to his parents and he took counsel and he made that decision. Yes. Even if this should come to pass, which we knew it would happen, I will still love you. And I will still be faithful to you as your husband. And I, I will help you. And let me tell you, Sherry, when you're, you, when you're, husband or your future husband makes a decision knowing that your life is going to change. It tells you that this is a person who really cherishes you, who sees you as the child of God that you are. And so even to this day, it warms my heart to know that he still chose me knowing what would come. There's no price tag for that. That's mm -hmm. God connection. Yeah. You know, God's purposeful. Okay. Let me back up a little bit. Yes. Are you asking God, are you praying, God, will you give me back my vision? Will you make me see again? Are you asking God for any of that? This is really interesting. I never went through a deep season of that. Mm -hmm. I may have once or twice asked him, but it was never something I brought to him in earnest prayer. And part of that is because of the trust that I had in him that he would be doing his, his work in me. And it wasn't my belief that he wasn't going to heal, but John chapter 9 played a very integral part in my life. And that is a story about the blind man whom the disciples and Jesus saw. And the disciples said, Lord, was he made blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? And Jesus said, for neither of those reasons, he was made blind so that he would give glory to God. And I will always remember when I read that verse, how it jumped off the page to me. And I always have left it in God's hand. If you choose to heal me, you heal me. But if you choose not to, it's because you are using this blindness to bring you glory in ways that I never could have if it was just plain old me and plain old regular me. So for that reason, I never really have. Now, are there people in my life who are praying that I would receive my vision back? Yes, there are. Am I open to that? Absolutely. However, it's not something that I dwell upon or that really causes me a lot of angst because I, I trust that God has done this for his own good reasons. That's submission. And submission, while we, the world, defines that as weak and almost a loser status, God takes that and it, is, it becomes something so powerful. That's bringing that beauty of 
Christ into everyday life. Yeah. Well, it, he talks about beauty from ashes in our lives. And that's what I pray he makes with this blindness, because it's not to say I haven't struggled. There hasn't been grief. There has been grief uh, where I, I still struggle with that. It's those trigger points that just you, you can't explain it. You couldn't have expected it. And it triggers the grief over what you've lost. So I, I, I know that pain and I know that grief, but uh and I think it's okay for us to feel that. I think it's okay for us to um, uh, to allow that to be a part of our healing process because we are cracked vessels and we are here on this earth and things do hurt. But overall, the overarching theme of my life is to trust him and to ask God, may you make this this ash this loss of my sight to be something that is beautiful to you and to those around me and to your kingdom. I love that you're authentic with God. I feel like if I'm in relationship with you, I, I need to be able to say what's on my heart. And mm -hmm. I know through my struggles with grief and trying to make sense of it, God has received all of my, mm -hmm. uh, my, this is what I felt his peaceful presence. He absorbs it and it's gone. Well, and I don't know about you, Sherry, but those times where I've been in those periods of just deep grief sometimes have been after the storm has passed, the, truly the most transforming and healing times for me, the times where I've, I've drawn closest to God, because when we come to him and those times of absolute pain, absolute anguish and anger and rage, uh, we're not, we're just laying ourselves as we are, like you said, authentically, transparently. We are, we are laying all of ourselves, our shreds, our emptiness, all of that before him. And I think in those times that we're able to give him even those dark times is, is truly when he can work the most because at that time it isn't us. You know, it is, we are leaning solely upon God clinging to him to be our strength. I think that's where oftentimes God can, can show himself the most because in second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine to 10, he talks about how in our weakness, he is strong. And at those times when I am hurting the most, when I am, in, in, when I'm angry, when I'm, when I'm in pain and agony, the most is when I'm at my weakest point. And that's when he shows up. And that's when um, I'm able to lean on him for his strength and where he shows me and gives me his strength. There are many types of death. The death of your eyesight, was that something you can connect with? Yeah. And here's the interesting part for me, because my loss of sight is continual and it can, it, it continues to decline and there is no cure. I experience that death over and over again because one day I'll wake up and realize I can't do this like I did three months ago or something will change where I'm not able to function as well. And so it is a continual loss and a continual death as uh, the, the disease continue, progresses. And so for me, it's, it's again, giving those, those, those times to God. And I think one of the things that is hardest for me with the death of the loss of sight as it continues to progress is that 
it prevents me from, well, this is my, my way of seeing it. It prevents me from wanting to do those things that I really feel passionate about for the Lord. And it, it, it makes me stop and have to say, I, I can't do this without your help, God, or with someone else's help. It's the most humbling experience you will ever, well, one of the most humbling experiences I think one can undergo when you can't do it and you have to rely upon someone else to do it for you. And so that's one of the things that's been hardest for me is that I can't myself do those things that I so want to do for God, but I have to be patient and I have to wait and I have to pray and ask God, if this is something you want me to do, you've created me this way. So you're going to have to be the one to provide the avenues, the hands and the feet and the eyes of other people that I can do this for you. So it really is a, is a process that continues for me. It's a continual leaning in to who God is, mm -hmm. his direction, to his definitions, to his value system, to his purposes. And that does take the pressure off, I would think. Well, for me, it takes the pressure off because I literally can't do it because I, I can't see to do it. I, I, I don't have the ability to do it. So when I'm in this posture of dependency upon God, uh, it takes the pressure off because it allows him to be the one to clearly orchestrate the open doors, the closed doors. Um, uh, so when we're in this posture of utter dependency upon God, it allows once more God to reveal himself very clearly, his strength, his power, his might, um, and his guidance. Because if he doesn't want me to do it, he is not going to provide the means to do it, the people, the things for me to do. So it is freeing, as we've been saying earlier, mm -hmm. to be in that position of not having the pressure of being the one to muscle it forward, but leaving it up to God. That takes a lot of strength to submit and to be led. That's a heart condition, a heart posture with the Lord. What are some of the things God is saying in this time to you when you're, you know, moving through this process here when it's gotten intense and how, what are some of the things God downloaded into your spirit or gave you revelation for? During my times when I've struggled with my pain and my grief, I think the most important thing that God has really downloaded to me is to be still and to be present with him. And when we're still and present with him, that first allows us to give him the pain, the grief that we're experiencing. And then after we give that storm over to him, when we sit and be still with him, I feel he's able to minister to us the most. Um, I feel he's able to whisper to us the most, his comforting truths. For me, that's where I've really found a lot of my peace coming from being still. And as a blind person, I have found that I can't move at the speed of light that I used to, not even close. And that being blind has forced me to be still. But when we are able to be still in the moment and to be more present with each moment, then we are able to be more present with God and God with us. And that has been one of the most powerful things for me during uh, this season is to be still before God, especially after those uh, grieving times. But I, I don't know if he's, he's really shared um, specific things other than that sense of love, uh, 
to know that he is with us. But I, I would say presence is, is what he has given me during these times of grief. Love where I can know that he is for me and not against me. And I think that's a very valuable thing we all need to know that even when we experience difficulties and trials, God is for us. God is with us in the midst of that. And we sometimes just have to lay ourselves down. That's one of the biggest lessons of being blind is being in this posture of dependency upon God because we can't do it in our strength and just letting God be with us and abiding with us is, is one of the most powerful things for me during these seasons of storms. And it's for me, that being versus doing is very difficult. I revert to doing so much faster than I think to be with God. Mm -hmm. It's really a process that you have to, and maybe it's just me, but it's a process that you have to, specifically or purposefully engage with to spend that time in being in his presence and enjoying him for the simple fact that you are his daughter and then move out into the world for the doing or move out into the family for the doing. But it's that personal intimate time in the Lord's presence that does equip you for the day ahead. The the people, the conversations, your emotions, you've given up a lot as your eyesight has Mm -hmm. gone. What do you think God has given you in place? I hear some things, but like, I want to hear what, what are some of the things God has given you? Yes. You know, it's only in time. And I think time is one of those things that anyone who has dealt with a major loss, we don't understand that how that is a part of the healing process. And for me, it took time to see my blindness as a gift. But eventually we got there because as we learn to depend upon God and and see things through his eyes, we are able to enter in, even in the midst of the pain, with some gratitude and thanksgiving. And that's a hard thing, but that's how it started with me, by being thankful for the small things. I think that's huge. Not just the big things, but those everyday things that we experience, like uh, how air conditioning feels during the during the heat of summer, mm-hmm. how cookies smell in the oven, how how a beautiful sunset might seem. Now I can't see a sunset, but I can see the contrasting light, so that's good enough for me. But those those little things, those as we build up these this fill this cup of little things of thanksgiving and gratitude, it begins to pour out into other layers of our life. And that's what happened with me is that I began to see my blindness as a gift. And through this, he's been able to give me some beautiful things when I've been able to to see it as this gifting. And one of the gifts he's given me is what we just talked about. This, this time factor of being still. I have the time now to be still because I'm not moving at the speed of light like I used to. Uh, every time, I feel like every day I slow down a little bit more, but looking at that time as a gift, time, whether that's to be in the word, time to be with God, time that I can even enjoy this, uh, this gifting of, of, of writing. Um, and I feel writing is something that he has given me in this season of being able to express my thoughts uh, how, about God, about my life, 
I think that's been a huge gift because if I had sight, I'd be working a full-time job. If I was working a full-time job, I wouldn't have the time to be creative. I wouldn't have the time that it takes to express my thoughts because right now, even to write takes an exorbitant amount of time because of my computer and it not cooperating and just difficulties that, that come with it. Time is one of the biggest gifts he's given me. Mm-hmm. And I think also a dependency upon God for those things that I cannot do. But during this season, I had my daughter during some of the heights of my, my inability to see. And even though that's not equated with my blindness, that's certainly has been a major gift for our family to have my, my daughter and just the joy that she brings to us. So I, I would have to say, yeah, time being still and that, that being able to be dependent upon him because I, I literally, I literally can't. Right. Right. Kind of stops you in your tracks. When you look back, do you have any regrets? Well, I, there are always regrets, I think. And for me, one of the regrets, I guess you could define it as, is the loss of independence. That is something which is hard because in this age of self-sufficiency, um, it, it makes a life a lot easier if we're able to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes less time. It, like, it takes less money if we can do it ourselves. Yeah, that's a good um, point. And, and so that's one of the things. But really, I, I think my biggest regret in all of this, like, Lord, I can't do more for you uh, because of my loss of sight. I feel like I'm not able to do all these wonderful grand ideas that you've placed in my head, which I know are from you. But then you know what I heard him say? I heard him speak to my heart and he said, Marge, you don't know that. If you had your sight, as we talked about earlier, you would be doing a full-time job and you may not even have the time to be with me to hear these thoughts, these inspirations, these, uh, these creative ideas. That might not have even been there for you. So I had to readjust. I said, okay, thank you, God. It's a regret, yes, because do I wish I could do it in my own? Do I wish I don't have to ask friends? Do I wish I didn't have to pay money to ask someone to do it for me? Yes. But then I'm reminded that even in this, it is it is a gift because we do not know the ways and the purposes of God. Oftentimes we think X plus Y equals Z, but not in God's kingdom necessarily. So I have to remind myself, that even if there are, quote, regrets, that God's overarching purpose in my life is greater than than what those would ever be. That's good. That's real good. That gives peace, too. Mm -hmm. What scriptures do you stand on for daily strength or something that's foundational Mm -hmm. for you? I have uh, two favorite verses, and my first one is Romans fifteen thirteen. Bear with me, but uh, I, this is a paraphrase, but it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is an integral part of my everyday life because as we, for me, I had to learn to trust that God was in the midst of my vision loss, that God was in the midst of uh, my pain, that his grace would be sufficient and that in my weakness, he would make me strong. And so learning to trust upon God has really helped fill my life with a lot of joy and peace because it brings hope. And I think hope is something that when it's derived in Jesus and in the foundation of God as our rock and our foundation, that is something that flows over into all areas of our life because if we are able to walk through our pain with hope, it gives that joy and peace because we're learning to trust in him. So for me, that's an integral verse that I cling to because I know that if I am in him, he will give me hope. He's going to be the God of hope and he's going to give me joy and peace because why I'm overflowing. I'm overflowing with this hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So for me, that is one of my my life verses. And my second life verse is something I've already referenced, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10, where he says that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he goes on to say that I will boast in my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of the Holy Spirit can rest upon us. So in our weakness, that allows him to come and to rest upon us in a way that he can't when we're trying to strive in our own strength. And then it it goes on to say how we will boast in our weaknesses. It says, for when I am weak, you are strong. And so for me, because I feel like I'm constantly in the state of weakness, I'm constantly, and trust me, it's not always a fun feeling to feel like you're having to always depend upon your husband, upon your friends, upon your church. Um, but it reminds me that in the state of dependency, in the state of weakness, that I am strong because of Christ within me. And so those are truly the two verses I cling to on a daily basis. Well, they're solid, and that definitely is encouragement for the soul and the spirit, body, Mm -hmm. physically, spiritually, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Then again, that's the way the the word works for us. Yes. So you have a daughter. Do you have any fears about her having the same diagnosis? Oh, it's interesting you ask me that, Cherry, because... We, we just this past week had a test. We didn't know there was one out there. She needs glasses now. And while she was there for her first optometrist visit, the gentleman said, there is a test out there you can take to see whether she has the retinitis pigmentosa gene. Oh, okay. And that it was, is a big thing. And so say what you will, everybody, it's a personal choice about genetic testings. And I certainly respect everybody's view on that. But we decided to have it done so that way we would know how best to prepare. So the truth is, we did not have children for a very long time because I was afraid she would have this gene because it is genetic, but I'm adopted. And because I'm adopted, I don't know my family history. So I don't, didn't know if this is genetic, if this was conditional, situational, what have you, if there are other mitigating factors with it. So we did not have my daughter until we were 15 years of marriage into it. That's a long time to be without children. But I distinctly remember thinking, and we talked about it, 
do I genetically have a child? Because if I do, she runs a risk of, of inheriting it. Do I adopt a child? Do I do what you call snowflake babies when you have somebody else's fertilized egg implanted in you and you have you can go still have the experience of normal childbirth and carrying a child in your in your womb? And I was paralyzed, absolutely paralyzed about having making a decision about children. And one day, I kid you not, I was sitting in my armchair. A thought came in my head. You are letting time decide for you whether you have children or not. And I started weeping. I began weeping and crying out to God and just begging him to give us another opportunity. Um, Because at that point, I was like 36 Mm -hmm. and time was a ticking. And we were very content as an as an old quote, quote, married couple, 15 years of marriage. And I remember crying out to God and saying, Lord, Lord, give us another opportunity. If this is going to be your will, uh, let me not stand in the way. And I remember I, I, did, I had a very abnormal pregnancy experience. I did not find out it was, I was pregnant until I was 21 weeks pregnant. And at that point, I was struck with so much fear when I found out fear because I was one I am 21 weeks pregnant oh my goodness I felt life and then I had this fear grip me that I had 21 weeks where I was not able to do anything proactively to take care of this baby in my belly to help prevent you know did I have enough help did I have enough food or the right foods to help prepare this baby to have a better eye condition than myself I was petrified I remember crying out to God about that. So there is this nagging fear, what if she has it? But many a wise person has told me, if she has it, you're the right mother to be able to help her navigate through it. And do I wish with all my heart that she will never experience the trials and and the pain of having to lose your sight. Oh, how I wish that every mother would wish that for her, but it's nothing I can control. So we will learn about whether she has this gene probably within the next month and we'll be able to make our decisions from that point. Mm-hmm. Equip you better with the results and equip you for the future. Yes. I was scared too about how do I take care of this baby? <laughs> I can't see. Again, I was just absolutely scared. I thought, how am I going to change her diaper? I thought, how am I going to feed her? I'm going to miss her mouth. I I mean, all those things that mothers take for granted who can see. I was absolutely petrified about. I thought, what if she puts something in her mouth and she chokes on it and I can't see that she put it in her mouth? What if she gets into poison and drinks and I can't? There were so many what ifs. I think, honestly, I had more questions, more fear more doubts and more anxiety about uh, becoming a mom than what I did about losing my actual sight because that was something I had time to prepare for. Remember, this is a, a series of probably 10 years before it really started to impact my everyday life. But man, when I found out I was a mom and I was going to be a mom very soon, I didn't have a chance to prepare. I was scared because again, you can't control these circumstances. So my pregnancy was one of the darkest seasons of my life in all honesty, because there was so much adjustment, so much transition, not only as um, a mother, first time mother in my later years, um, not only as a blind mother, but also uh, she came a month early. So 
from 21 weeks to 36 weeks, I was only pregnant and knowledge of pregnancy for three and a half months. So there was a lot of transition and adjustment to the idea of becoming a mother. So it was a very difficult season. God really had to, to speak to me every single day through his word, through people calling me. I really struggled and God really had to get me through that time. I can't even imagine. I can imagine and that's it. All the fears that we have are now magnified. Yeah. So God did have to show up in a big way. Even how am I going to communicate with my daughter? Because a lot of babies go through pointing seasons before they can talk. And I remember distinctly praying, Lord, please let my daughter talk at a very early age because I'm not going to be able to see what she's pointing to. I'm not going to have that type of communication that you typically have with your child. You know, so I had some very specific prayers to God when it, when it came to becoming a mom. Has she acclimated to your physical condition? She has. There's a level of understanding that she has, and there's still something she doesn't understand. So for instance, she knows if I'm to see something that she's to put my hand on it. So if she draws a picture, she puts my finger on, this is this color here, and this is where I drew me, this is where I drew you. So she knows I see with my fingers, yet this idea that I still don't see with my eyes, even though she knows it, there's still that thing I think that kids have, watch me, mommy, watch me, look at me. And I'll turn my face to her, I'll smile, I'll comment on what I can hear, um, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll say, mommy can't see that. Or you know, so, so there's still this thing of, it, it, there, it, there's a connect, but there's also times of disconnect because that's just a natural kid response to be like, mommy, watch me when they're excited. She's transitioned so well. And, and, and I, I'm really blessed. God gave us the right child for this family. To me, adds another intimacy and relationship mm -hmm. that the two of you share. Mm -hmm. um, We're very close. Mm -hmm. I bet you are. You're coming back around to writing. You've mm -hmm. left the financial world. You've struggled through the things that God's leading you in, out of and into, and now you're back around to writing. Actually, it's because of my little girl. I will always remember we were on our way to my sister-in-law's wedding, and she wanted stories. We were driving six hours at night to get to this wedding the next day. And my husband was driving, so he couldn't read her story. She was wide awake, and I couldn't read her story because I can't see. So I started making up stories for her, and she loves them. And so it was, it was just so fun to create stories. She said, more, more, more. And it was later after I created two or three of these stories. Actually, I'm working on them right now. Uh, it, it's about our, our former worship leader, who was a young man who walked around barefoot everywhere, and he got in the most interesting adventures. So I began to tell her stories about the stories he told us, and they began to collect into this book series called Meet Mr. Caleb in September. One of the first book of the series will be released, and I'm so excited, but that's how it began, telling stories about this Meet Mr. Caleb and his adventures with bare feet from how he got syrup uh, on his VW bus steering wheel from how he runs uh, through the snow in his bare feet, all these really silly 
stories. And so I'm excited to begin to roll them out. But that's how I got started through my, my daughter, not being able to read stories to her, but being in a position where I had to tell her stories. I've always been very creative because I was an artist when I was in high school. I was a well-rounded musician and I, I loved reading and writing at that time. So I think it was just one of the ways that God has created my brain to be, to be creative. And I think he used the relationship with my daughter and being in a position of having to come up with something to entertain her uh, that God was able to use. What musical instrument did you play? Well, I played clarinet and violin, but my passion is to sing because I, I love to worship and to, to praise uh, God. But interestingly enough, it's me wanting to learn the piano because I took a crash course in college to pass my music proficiencies, and I did a horrible job. I wanted my daughter to learn piano, and I wanted to learn piano because I had time. And that's how I met my co-author for the book that we just released in July called Feeling the Music. I want other people to learn how to play the piano without having to read the music, because obviously I couldn't read the music. And so together we collaborated with this book, my experience of why I wanted to learn the piano, what the experience was like for me as a blind person, feeling the keys, feeling uh, the music instead of reading it, feeling the music. That book came out in July, but that is another thing that also, it was really about the same time, maybe a few months later that she and I began to work on that. So both these things started happening simultaneously, which brought me into to, to writing, but I'd never really abandoned writing that much because while my daughter was during her first year of life, I wanted to encapsulate and remember those special moments that I knew I would forget. So I started journaling the things that she did, I, uh, the things that she did. And so I'd kept that up, but I never officially pursued it thinking I could ever do anything with it. Um, and so even though these projects are, are still out there, um, these are things that I'm, I'm hoping to accomplish. They still are not all realized yet. Yeah. So on time, I'm, God has just been using them for me, moving me forward. It could apply to children or even adults. Mm -hmm. who, if there's areas that I'm not familiar with or feel very intimidated by, I look more for a almost a juvenile version to kind mm -hmm. of warm me up to things. So that sounds like it opens up a lot of doors. Yes, it does. It's really designed not just for the blind, but like you said, for anyone who wanted to learn, who's never learned, for young kids, um, for the retirees, but it, it really is for anyone who has wanted to learn to play or who wants to learn to play. It's a unique way of learning to play, especially if you've never had the training to learn to read sight music, because that can be very imposing to see those notes on a page and not know how to interpret them. Well, that sounds like you're opening up for people a way to express themselves creatively or in a form of worship, which mm -hmm. I feel like anytime we use our gifts and talents, we are worshiping the Lord. Yes. So how can people find you in order to look for your Feel the Music resource or the children's books that you have come out? Right now, the best way is to go to my website, MarjorieWinger.com. And that's about M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E-W-I-N-G-E-R-T.com. There I have my blog. And I love my prayer blog because it was a time that I had my daughter that I was thinking, Lord, how can I write? But not write for the purpose of writing, but to be able to still 
get in the word, be in your word, and to offer something that other people might find spiritually meaningful. And that's where the blog came out of, is using scripture as our guide to prayer of our children, because I believe that the Bible has all the answers we need. And I believe that we can pray proactively as well as reactively. And my desire was to pray proactively over my daughter using the Bible chapter by chapter as a basis to form the prayer for our children. And there's a lot in there where Paul is talking and addressing issues in the church, uh, giving us guidance and wisdom, and there's no reason why we can't pray them over our children. So that's where I have my prayer blog. That's where if uh, I'll have anything about an upcoming book coming out. Um, and also speaking, I do some speaking and you'll be able to see ways to contact me there. And of course, filming the music and other resources. But that's really the best way on my website will also be links to a Facebook account, uh, to Twitter and things of that nature. So really, I would say that's the best hub to go to. Okay, it sounds like the website is fully equipped on other ways to find what you're doing or get connected up in that way. So marjoriewingert.com, M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E-W-I-N-G-E-R-T.com. Last question for you, Marjorie. When you think about the full scope of how losing your sight has impacted your relationship with God, can you share either one thing that stands out to you that either was strengthened, something that you knew about God that was strengthened, or something that you knew about him that had to be redefined? Mm, That's a really good question. I think for me, when it comes when it came to what the loss of my vision did, I think it reemphasized the character of God. And what I mean by that is our, our God has so many different facets of who he is. And it really opened up me seeing him, not just through one box, if you will, but it helped open the box to see how he is more than what we could ever hope or dream. He is more than just what we need in this moment. It helped me begin to see God um, from the beginning and to the end. And it helped me begin to see God as not just the loving God, but as a God who provides for us, as a God of peace, as a God of love, as a God who who is there for us. So to me, I think it just re-emphasized his character and all the many different facets of who he is to us. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is all those different names in the Bible. And to be able to appreciate that at a deeper level. But I think that's natural when it comes to loss. It helps us if we are able to begin to look outside of ourselves and put our vision outside of us, but onto God. That's where I began to see God in his fullness and not define him within my certain little box of world of how I had seen him, you know, just to see him provide, to see him bless beyond what I could hope to see him answer my prayers, to see him uh, go exceedingly more. Those were the opportunities I feel like my loss has given me. Truly, they talk about he gives and he takes away. He allowed my sight to go. Mm -hmm. 
but what he gave me was so much more in return. And that was a deeper love, a deeper fervency, because we can either view our loss simply as losses, which they are, and, and stay there. I think if we're able to turn the way we view our loss, it will help us uh, be able to know hope, to be able to know peace, and to know joy in the midst of it. That's a combination of powerful and beautiful. You've talked about how your surrender, surrendering to the Lord, uh, laying things down, laying expectations down, laying definitions down, being willing to redefine things. I love your spirit of gratitude and you made an emphasis on being instead of doing. Mm -hmm. And that time was so precious and that you felt it's been a huge gift to you in the sense mm -hmm. that you, you've, you're no longer in control of these things. And so you've embraced what has been exchanged, if you will, mm -hmm. um, or what those expectations were. Mm -hmm. That, I think, to be honest with you, that's what we should all be seeking for, really. We should be looking to surrender to our agendas and our expectations mm -hmm. to the Lord. We should have a heart of gratitude because we, every day, every breath, every, I mean, the time, we just don't appreciate time. Time is the new value system. Yes. This has been incredibly eye-opening, incredibly beautiful. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you so very much. You are beautiful on the inside and the outside. And so I thank you for how you have shared yourself with our listeners today. Oh, thank you, Sherry. Thank you for having me. And it's been, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have all that is familiar to them flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone, and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the